Albert. Al, what's happening over in your neighborhood? It's a it's a nice day out there. It's kind of kind of I don't know. I guess there was some haze around yes. early this morning. I didn't see it. I guess I must have been in a, my own haze at that time of day. But it's a a nice day. The bird feeders here are really really quiet. Uh, I have a Cooper's hawk somewhere in the yard here. So, boy, as I look at my feeders right now, they are completely deserted. There's not a bird to be seen anywhere. So uh, they're keeping an eye out, and uh, chickadees are the ones that usually give the all-clear sign and let them know that they can come back to the feeders. Sometimes that all-clear means a bird has moved on, and sometimes it means that the bird, that Cooper's hawk, has captured a bird and is uh, dining somewhere and of course chickadees know if that bird's eating you really can't be bothering them much so they come in it's uh, it's a tough life out there <clears throat> i uh drove by we've been eating sweet corn and oh man it's been really good this year and i drove by a harvested field of sweet corn the other day and it had become a field of canada geese there was a uh, Canada geese everywhere you looked out in there, and there was a single common grackle in the field, and it seemed odd to see just one grackle. Canada geese, one grackle. But folks, you know, grackle is not the world's most popular bird. That's why they're, it, they're, it's not the Mankato West grackles. There's a reason, <laughs> you know, people just don't care for the grackle much, but if you get a chance today and you see one, take a really good look at a grackle. It, it, it's really a handsome bird. Uh, common grackles are abundant and widespread, and people don't believe this, but their populations have been declining by nearly 2% per year, at least between 1966 and 2014. And this has resulted in a total decline of 58%. This is according to the North American Breeding Bird Survey. And I see them here from early March to late November, and they nest in May through July. The young leave the nest in 10 to 17 days. But as soon as that breeding season is over and the young birds are grown, grackles began to gather in their summer roosts to form these immense flocks. So during October and November, these great flocks wander about our country, often joined by starlings, cowbirds, and other blackbirds, seeking suitable feeding places in grain fields, grasslands, swamps, and sweet corn fields, which they they seem to really enjoy sweet corn fields with. I, I can't blame them a bit there. I got a nice note from Ron, oh, Ron, I hope, uh, Big Ron is what I know him as, but it's, Ron's last name is Kreutzdender, and Ron lives in Austin, and he said, uh, uh, in my younger years, I grew up uh, Midwestern in the summer, there was a L-shaped elementary school with a flat roof that was home to lots of common nighthawks. Back then, I could imitate the nighthawks, calling them to climb higher and higher and higher until they came straight down. All my friends would seek cover, but I knew they would, they would. Uh, oh, I'm not sure what that word is. Stop there, I guess. Uh, oh, clap their wings, maybe, and make that supersonic sound and head back up, fluttering their wings higher and higher, then come back to the ground to see where everybody was running to. Where are all the nighthawks? Uh, yeah, that's a, a great question, Ron. It's a couple of 
reasons. One is uh, we we don't have as many flat roofs as we once did. So the, that's where they like to nest. We just don't have them. A lot of habitat has changed, and some has been uh, pesticide usage that has eliminated uh, mosquitoes, but also a lot of other insects that these guys would be eating. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee saw, is seeing some young yellow warblers. Dave Clausen, who I believe you know from Amory, Wisconsin. Yes, I, I volunteered at his vet clinic for a number of years when I was interested in being a veterinarian. So, yeah, you know Dave Clausen, too. Yeah, for many, many years. He's a, a wonderful guy. He said, we have lots of barn swallows in our open front shed. Swedish legend has it that chasing the barn swallows away brings bad luck. I'm not superstitious, but have become accustomed to barn swallow dung patina on my pickup, <laughs> lawnmower, and tractor. We have a lot of tree swallows nesting in our bluebird houses. I really enjoy both species swarming around my tractors. I mow pastures, and they pick off the bugs I flush. Yeah, Dave, my my dad always said that if you had barn swallows nesting in the barn, it would never be a fire in that barn, that they brought that kind of good luck. <clears throat> I have barn swallows until the Cooper's hawk came here. I had barn swallows in great numbers in my yard here. And as they finish nesting, they begin to gather in these migratory groups. And they start doing that in July. And the young stay with their parents during migration. And August is the peak fall migration for barn swallows over much of Canada and the U.S. And the first individuals actually reach South America this month. So look for flocks along their migration pathways, gathering on utility wires. <clears throat> the killing of uh, egrets is often cited for inspiring the U.S. conservation movement, but it was the millinery trade's impact on barn swallows. That's right. We were using them in our hats. <clears throat> And uh, this prompted a naturalist by the name of George Bird Grinnell. He didn't have much choice, I don't think, what he was going to be with a middle name Bird. In 1886, he wrote an editorial in Forest and Stream magazine decrying this practice. And his essay led to the founding of the National Audubon Society. And according to legend, this swallow got its forked tail because it stole fire from the gods to bring to the people. And an angry deity hurled a firebrand at the swallow and burned away its middle tail feather. So now it has that <coughs> that uh, swallow tail or forked tail. Uh, barn swallows sometimes reuse their old nests, but not those infested with mites or parasites. Uh, they do remove old feathers from old nests and then add mud. Uh, Shakespeare wrote about swallows. He said, true hope is swift and flies with swallows' wings. Rita Granson. Rita lives down uh, in Mason City, and she said, I thought with the inch of rain we received that there might be warblers in some of the parks. The best I could do were two female red starts and an olive-sided flycatcher, which I saw two last week. All the locals were around with robins gathering together. Good buddy Tim Scott. Uh, Tim said, we have about six female and juvenile ruby-throated hummingbirds, but I haven't had a male with a red throat show up in over a week. Where did the adult males go? <clears throat> uh, back to Mexico early. If I go to Henderson, they're there. I am enjoying the hummingbird wars, have a bottle of nectar on the deck in front of a big door, and it's better than TV. What? Well, 
Pam, at the end of summer and the beginning of fall, ruby-throated hummingbirds start migrating south towards their wintering grounds. Adult males are the first to leave. They're out of there. They they have nothing to do with raising the babies. They're, uh, oh, you know, we would call them deadbeat dads, I suppose, if, if we if we wanted to be mean, but they just, uh, that's not part of their lives. That's not their in their code. So adult females are next, and then they're followed shortly by the juveniles. And some males leave as early as July, but most hummingbirds depart towards the end of August and the beginning of September. And by leaving earlier than the females and immature birds, the males won't be competing for fading fall blossoms and other food sources. So they go for oh, a selfish reason. It's just easier to find food as they're traveling a little bit early. And newly fledged birds need that extra time. So if you're a young hummingbird, you need some time to mature and just learn what the world's all about. And you need to try to put on a lot of fat reserves before flying off on their first migration south. And more food will also be available along the migration trail when hummingbirds leave at different times. And the number of ruby-throated hummingbirds migrating south in the fall may be twice the number that return in the spring, as it includes all the immature birds that hatched out this past summer. And speaking of hummingbirds, and Tim mentioned Henderson, uh, that the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah will be in beautiful Henderson, Minnesota, this Saturday, August 19th. And it runs from 9 to 4 p.m., 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it's free for the entire family. Like, I think there's a class on painting and maybe something else that there's a charge. <coughs> but other than that, it's uh, free. Oh, you'll see, bring your camera. You know, just your camera and your cell phone is a, is a good idea. You'll get to take pictures of hummingbirds. Uh, there'll be bees, butterflies, and blooms, hummingbird banding, speakers, educational booth, lots of children's activities. I think they got a big snake they're bringing down there and some other things. Uh, information on Chimney Swift, garden tours, master gardeners, I'll be yapping there sometime in the afternoon. So I hope to see you all there. Henderson's a, wow, what a wonderful place to be. And if you like bees, and who doesn't, on uh, Thursday, August 17th at 7 p.m., you can come to the uh, J.C. Hormel. Uh, I still say Hormel. I know. I think that's the right way. Isn't isn't that the way, like, the people, the local people know, and that's the correct way, and then somehow it became Hormel? I don't know how that yeah. happened, but... Growing up, the family was Hormel. You know, there was yeah. a Hormel family. And then they said what happened was it became... They had like a Spam Hour radio show with Burns and Allen. Yeah. Uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen. And they pronounced it Hormel on there uh, for some so, reason. So they did And they it. were... Yep, they were so popular that that just, uh, just immediately changed the name. But... Um, whether you call it J.C. Hormel or J.C. Hormel Nature Center, uh, come to the Nature Center. It's a, just a beautiful place, and there's going to be a, a friend there by the name of Paul Hansen who's really good with bees and things, and he will be demonstrating everything about bees. So if anybody's interested, uh, give a call. It's 437-7519, 437-7519. kind of want to get a number of people that might be showing up there so but it uh, be fun and paul i have uh, 
I have, uh, I've sipped a bit, bunch of his honey. He makes really great honey. Well, actually, his bees make it, but I think Paul takes the credit, which I don't blame him. Uh, Lynn Oswald of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, asked, how do I get a hummingbird out of a garage? I think a lot of us have had that happen. We come up. We put up the door, and then we say, oh, you know, maybe I need the keys for my car if I want to go anywhere. So we go back in the house, and we come out, and there's a hummingbird in the garage. So you leave the door wide open. You come home after a while. There's the hummingbird still in the garage. They like to fly up, like when you put a, a fly in a bottle. They want to fly up, and hummingbirds do that. And what are they doing in the garage? Well, hummingbirds are attracted to red and orange colors, and most overhead garage doors, the openers have that red emergency release handle. So when the hummingbird sees that red handle, it's got to check it out because it might be a food source. Uh, some folks paint that handle a darker color covered in tape to discourage hummingbird visits. And it may be attracted to other red and orange items. I think of uh, the red uh, little uh, safety, oh, what do you call them, uh, reflective devices that are on bicycles and things. So they might be attracted to that. You might have and a hummingbird flock flying behind your little orange flying flag. Your bike yeah. flag is what you're saying. That's how to... Yeah. There's, and there's a lot. You, you know, just take a look at your garage. There's all kinds of red and orange things and warning devices. And there's all kinds of things where if you're a little hummingbird and you're hungry and you're thinking about migrating now and you got to put on all those fat resources that you can, you say, wow, this is a bonanza right here. Look at all these things. So you fly in there and you say, man, none of this is... There's no nectar in any of this stuff, so I'm I'm leaving. So then they fly up, because all their life they fly up to get away from things or to get out of things. And all of a sudden, this guy has a roof on it. So how do you get them out of there? Well, if you have a hummingbird feeder, have the garage door open, and then hang a hummingbird feeder near the open door of that garage and just hope that the little bird flies over to feed on it. If you don't have a hummingbird feeder, oh, borrow one from a neighbor. They might have one. If they don't have one, hang red or orange flowers or red cloth or ribbon on that. Uh, you can, you know, fold it over a chair or something by the open garage door and, and just hope they come out. Or take your, guys, you could take your bullfighting uh, blanket and just wave it in front of the door as well. You sure could. Uh, they're going to check out most things are red, and they have such a high metabolism rate that you kind of want to get them out of there as soon as they can, because, or as soon as you can, because they need to eat a lot. They just don't do well when they're not eating. Oh, the other, we have a sink, and everybody has maybe one sink in the house that you don't use a whole lot, right? But you use use it some, you know, just a. Well, I went down there, and there's a cellar spider in it, right in the middle of the sink. Now, what do they and look like? A lot of people mistake them and call them daddy long legs. Oh, so sure. Their, yeah, and daddy long legs are actually harvest men. They're not even spiders. And for some reason, they're the ones that, uh, when I was a kid, people used to tell us that they were the highly venomous. And my dad would always say, oh, here, pick one up. You know, how venomous <laughs> is this and everything. So they weren't. But a lot of people call these daddy long legs, and they're not. But 
You so, see them in uh, oh damp locations like basements and crawl spaces and cellars, hence the name cellar spiders. I don't see them as much as I used to. I remember growing up seeing those all the time, and I guess I don't. They aren't as frequent as my, I don't know if it's because I'm in southern Minnesota versus northwestern Wisconsin, or just that I was on a farm versus a city. Is that something to do with it? That could be it. And um, I, it's funny. I turn on the water, and I I like spiders a lot, so I don't want to scald him or anything, you know. So I turn it on slowly first, hoping he'll move a little bit. Well, then the water drops hit the web, and he goes nuts. He <laughs> comes right at the water because he thinks, boy, I got something here. And then he sees it's water, and then he just takes off for the corner of the sink and kind of cowers over there. So then I turn on the water a little bit more so I can wash my hands. And then he goes nuts. Um, he starts vibrating violently. Just, uh, I don't know how to do this. It's, it's like a huge earthquake hit, and he's just shaking and shaking. And he does that in order to discourage an enemy, which yeah, I certainly am to him. So he's just shaking. And this has earned them the common name. When I was a kid, we called them vibrating spiders because they just go crazy like this. But they're really, cellar spiders are really cool. They're sneaky. And when so when food is scarce, they abandon their webs and they seek the webs of other spiders. And they come up to the web and they tap on the web. Just got They got one leg out there and they tap on a little bit. And... When the owner of the web, another spider, says, oh, I got something, <laughs> and he thought he caught something, he comes running out, and the cellar spider captures and eats a spider. Really? So, I didn't yeah. know they ate each other. Well, I guess uh, it's Some good. spiders do, and cellar spiders, I guess they'd rather eat maybe little drain flies or something that they're catching in sinks, but when they get hungry, they certainly will take other ones. So they're really cool spiders between the vibration and the sneaky way they fool another spider and draw that spider we always talk about spiders all our lives we're told the stories about how the wise spider tricked the goofy fly into coming into the web well this is one spider that tricks other spiders into coming in so so he's still there and i'm i'm trying to be real nice to him and i talk to him every so often now speaking of spiders uh this weekend my son was on the dock out at the lake and there was a spider web there and he saw a spider with a skull on his back he says mom there's a spider and it looks like a skull on his back it must be poisonous so tell me about the spider with the this looks like it has a skull on its back what color was the spider? Do I you think know? it was blackish or brownish. It was dark. I'm trying to think which one has a. Because I just I, I googled it. It said something a spider with a skull face. Um, they said they look scary, but they described it as a oh what is what is it? I'm gonna find it here. It was not not. Is it, oh, let me see. What is it? It's a, like a false widow. People will say. Uh, yes, they refer to it as a false widow, and he saw yeah. it, and he was kind of scared of it, and I said, I, I, I don't think it's um, harmful, and it doesn't sound like it's harmful. I want to say it's one of the jumping spiders. Which one? I'm not exactly sure. But I think it's one of the, the family of jumping spiders. Well, they say it's called a, uh, a common spider known as the missing sector orb weaver. That's oh, it's an orb weaver. Cool. Yeah, well, apparently that's, I, I just Googled it and saw the, saw what it looked like, but I saw it too, and I was like, huh, this looks like a skull. It was kind of weird. 
Because I've heard a lot through the years, people always say they think it's a, uh, you know, as you would when you see a skull on there, because we're used to seeing a skull and crossbones on poison. deadly, yeah. But um, I've heard a lot about the false widows, false widow spiders Mm -hmm. that have these things on there, and that they're completely harmless, supposedly, but they just, they want to look I guess frightening to us. You wonder how that ever evolved. Saying I'm, I'm going to work on getting a, a skull on me because <laughs> I think people leave me alone if I just have a skull on my back. So, I, what a cool tattoo that would make, though, huh? Yeah, there you go. So some tattoo artists can kind of maybe uh, imitate the the widow spider, the false widow spider. False widow, yeah. that would be a great tattoo, one that I've never seen. And folks, I work at a lot of fairs, so I see a lot of <laughs> tattoos. So, and I've not seen one of those, but that would be pretty cool. Hey, that was really neat, he saw that. Now, a, is it not as common, do you think, or? Um, I don't know how common they are. I've seen them mm-hmm. uh, with that on the back, and I've taken photos of them. And I think that's all I've ever done is taken photos and never researched so much for some reason. You know, like everybody anymore, we take a million photos and we're going to do something with them. And they kind of sit, and then one day we finally do something with them. And we go into our camera and delete about 10,000 photos. And, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take another look because I, I know a lot of folks saying, Ew, you're talking about spiders. Folks, I just love spiders. I think they're the coolest things. And... I, maybe it was Charlotte's Web. I loved E.B. White. And yeah, what kind of like spider it. was Charlotte in Charlotte's Web? You know, I have no idea. Oh. That's, that's a great question. I thought you would know of anybody. No, but I'm going to find out now. She was a sweet spider is what she was. I just, Charlotte's Web. I, I wrote that down and put it on a 3 by 5 sticky paper on my forehead. So I, I, got a, I just got an email from somebody saying, how long do ducks live? She said, we have a mallard comes back in the same place, been doing it for about 15 years. Is it the same duck? Hmm. Well, there's a place called the Bird Banding Lab that does uh, longevity records, and they said the longevity for a mallard in the wild, these are all in the wild, 27 years. So, yes, it certainly could be the same one. American black ducks, which look very much like mallards, uh, 26 years, blue-winged teal, 23. Uh, wood duck, northern pintail, and canvasback each reach 22 years of age. But none of these ducks come close to the ages of two ducks that are still surviving that we're all very aware of. Uh, Donald Duck made his first appearance in 1934, and Daffy Duck showed up in 1937. So those two ducks, there's some longevity there. And nobody knows what kind of duck either one of those two are. And is there a clue? I mean, Daffy almost looks like he could be a cormorant or something. Yeah, yeah. Because he's all black, so that's what, but, but a cormorant's not a duck, I don't think. No, they're not. And I've looked up a bunch of stuff on Daffy, and there's there's just no way. He just came from the the wonderful imagination of an artist. and uh, He's probably one of a kind. I would say everybody used to say, well, he's American black duck. He's black. Oh. Well, <laughs> that isn't what American black ducks look like. So who knows what he is. But, uh, oh, man, growing up, I loved Daffy. He was just... Uh, 
poor old Daff. He was always getting his bill shot off by Elmer Fudd or somebody. But oh, I just love Daffy. And you said you had a text from somebody? Oh, yes, I do. Of course I do. Tell Al the pollinator postage stamps are very nice. He got, uh, this is from our friend John, he got some. And I haven't seen him yet. Have you, the, the new pollinator stamps? I have not. Stamp? No, I'm still using up. I bought a whole pile of bird ones. Yes, <laughs> I've got a whole pile of planet <laughs> ones that I'm still using up. And then he has a question for you. Why are gulls named seagulls? Yeah, it's a, a misnomer um, because, uh, you know, they're not really seagulls. I say if they're here, they're a river gull. If they're in a river stream, they're a stream gull. If they're in a lake, they're a lake gull. And uh, the answer is if they're by the bay, they're bagels. They're bagels. <laughs> and if they're in the parking lot, they're parking lot gulls. And I went to, through McDonald's a while back because I, I, I wanted to get a cup of tea. Uh, to go, and so I hadn't gone through the drive-through in about a hundred years. Ahead of me were two gulls just walking through the drive-through. So apparently they had something at window two that they had ordered. But, Probably French fries. Uh, Don't they? It seems like you always find them loving to get like dried oh, up French fries that are laying around. French fries are stale, stale hamburger buns. They just they can live on those. Speaking of hamburger buns. I shouldn't <laughs> say that, but uh, come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always a high mug maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers of less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. The cafe today is one of those zucchini deposit centers. So if you come there, lock your car doors because people are going to fill your back seat <laughs> with zucchini. Everybody's got a lot of zucchini. So, of course, we were talking about gardening. And I just said, I love sweet corn. I love it slathered in butter and salted liberally. Corn on the cob is the only food that I salt. I remember eating field corn, both raw and cooked, when I was a lad. And I thought it was good, but it was no sweet corn. I raised sweet corn for years. I don't raise it anymore. I grew weary of fighting, losing battles against raccoons. <laughs> Nature bats last, and the raccoons won every single time. I tried playing a radio in the garden at night. It was supposed to discourage raccoons' raids, but the raccoons danced to the music while they devoured my sweet corn, and it didn't matter what kind of music was played. Fortunately, there are many local producers of delectable sweet corn who are willing to sell me a few ears. My garden has gotten smaller. This year's is just big enough to raise a fine crop of rabbits. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. Thanks, everybody, for for listening. I, I appreciate you more than I could ever say. Al, are you going to be at the uh, Steele County Free Fair? Because it, it seems like that's someone you're always at in the Isaac Walton building. So I just wanted to make sure I asked because we're going to try and get there this year and to see if you're going to be around. You bet. I'll be there tomorrow from 1 to 4 <gasps> in the tomorrow? Isaac building. One yep. to four, because we might be going tomorrow afternoon, so it's supposed cool. to rain. But so Albat, the Steel County Free Fair in Owatonna, it's a great fair. One to four, we can see in the Isaac Walton building. Any other fairs coming up or not? Uh, that's the only one I know of. There probably is, but my, right. my wife will be there too, so I'll Wonderful. be in good company. Okay, thanks. I'll chat with you next week, okay? Thanks. Yep, bye-bye.